Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And I've got a special Astros trade deadline show for you with longtime Astros broadcaster Greg Lucas joining me, who's one of our favorites over the years. Great to have you back, Greg. And I got to say, if anybody was questioning James Click as a horse trader, he kind of shut down the critics this week, didn't he? Sure did. Came up with uh, some pitchers that the Astros uh, need and, and went right at them. And, and most of them were players that no one was really even thinking about. The tail of the tape on the two deals, Click gets not just one, but two swing and miss closers who were closing games for the respective teams. Kendall Graveman with the Mariners, Yimmy Garcia with the Marlins and the two deals. They give up Joe Smith, Abraham Toro, Austin Pruitt and Skeeter's outfielder, Brian De La Cruz. Smith was awful this year, has two months left on his contract, and could potentially be retiring soon. Pruitt's been hurt his whole time in Houston, didn't look good in his only appearances recently. De La Cruz plays a position where the Astros have depth, and Toro had no real path to be a starter with the Astros. So, Greg, it wasn't just that he got a couple of guys. He got guys that really we're not going to miss. No, they were not top prospects. Toro would have been valuable to us to an extent, but only as a utility guy. Once Bregman is back, De La Cruz is a little older minor league outfielder, 24, 25 years old. And the same thing with him. And of course, Smith was an older pitcher who has not really come back well from uh, the, the time he, well, he missed all of last year. And then the time that he uh, was sidelined this year, he's really never gotten back in a groove. And at, at his age, uh, you always wonder not whether or not he can. So, no, they did not give up anybody that should be missed uh, greatly at all. Let me start off with Kendall Graveman and go over who he is for people that don't know. He's 30 years old will be a free agent in a couple of months, but he ranks first in the AL ERA this year, 0.82, first in whip, 0.70, and first in batting average against 136. Right-handed batters, uh, they can't hit him. They're five for 63 this year, all singles. And Greg, everybody will go to his baseball reference and they'll see he's been bad his whole career. So what happened? Well, he had Tommy John surgery, which increased his fastball several miles per hour. He's a whole new guy. He's kind of changed everything for for this kid. Well, it is. And Tommy John surgery can sometimes do that for players. There are cases, there have been more than a few cases, where guys have come back from Tommy John, and once they got back in the groove, and sometimes that took a little time, they actually threw the ball a little bit harder. And in other cases, uh, it has affected them in other ways. As you know, McCullers came back from Tommy John, and he's still trying to get the feel for the curveball, which he was one of his most devastating pitches before he had it. He's been throwing the slider a little bit more, but he's still trying to get the feel for the curve since he had Tommy John surgery. So the surgery sometimes takes a little longer to fully uh, get you back. But uh, once you do get back, sometimes you are better than you were, and that seems to be the case with Graveman. Yeah, if you look at his whole career, nearly 500 innings, 4.20 ERA, 1.326 whip. So, yeah, he's a whole new guy. And then you go over to Yimmy Garcia, also 30 years old. He's about to turn 31. Dominican Republic kid, will be a free agent in a couple of months as well so both guys heading towards free agency so rental players uh but garcia 15 saves this season with a whip of 1.211 and a 3.47 era 
but his career whip is actually much better, 1.024. This is his first year as a closer, so maybe taking him out of that role, Greg, will make him better. His fastball averages 96 miles per hour. He's got the high spin rate the Astros love. Curveball is getting knocked around a little bit, but the Astros organization, and I don't know if you would say, Greg, that this is fair, but they're, they're kind of good at identifying pitches that aren't working for some guys. And when they get over to the Astros, they give them other options. And, and I feel like that's where they sort of rehab some of these guys' careers. They do. And I think the other factor is they are, uh, they're more experienced than the guys the Astros, many of the guys the Astros are having to use in the bullpen. And even if uh, Garcia and Graveman are gone after one year, don't count out some of these guys like Abreu and some of the others that are may, may get pushed back uh, and see less uh, action or may even go down to uh, Sugarland. Don't count them out for next year because they, they still have great arms. And in most cases, it's a problem of command. Uh, and so consequently, age often brings you command. So the Astros will not be exactly starting from scratch next year, but that Besides the point, the Astros are trying to win the World Series this year, and so this is an outstanding uh, couple of acquisitions. Yeah, one guy that I think may be getting overlooked a little bit is they got Rafael Montero from the Mariners, but he was with the Rangers. His ERA, 7.27 this year, WHIP 1.639. It looks terrible, but his numbers were way better the last two years with the Rangers. No idea if... The Astros see something in him, Greg, or they just took him to save a few pennies as part of the Joe Smith swap? Well, it could have been. It could be both. But I, I would assume that they see an arm, and, and the arm is what they have with the number of the players that have been spotty in their consistency this year and uh, and some of them that are down at AAA now. You start with an arm. If you don't have an arm, uh, you're at a major disadvantage. But then you are still at a disadvantage if that arm can't throw strikes and quality strikes, and that's what makes the difference between a guy with just an arm and a guy who's just going to bang around and he's going to have a good game and then he's going to have a bad game. And uh, you have to take a chance with guys with arms, and Montero was not one of the main three, that uh, the main guys that are probably going to ultimately be on the Astros roster uh, immediately. But, uh, again, he's got one of those arms. We also can't forget that Pedro Baez should be back any day, maybe any second. Uh, he's made four Minor league relief appearances so far, four innings total, one earned run. Most importantly, Greg, Baez will be bringing in a lot of postseason experience with the Dodgers. Yeah, well, that's uh, experience is almost incalculable when you get to postseason play because uh, those guys have gone through it. They know what it's like, and uh, they they play with a little more confidence than some of the young guys, unless you're talking about a real phenom, most of the young guys are still kind of finding their way around and uh, afraid to make mistakes. Veterans don't want to make mistakes, but uh, they can sometimes get past them a little better than the young guys. Outside of Baez, Presley, and the new Astros relievers, are there any current ones that you're starting to trust, Greg? Stanek, Blake Taylor, for example? Well, the problem with them is the guys like Stanek, they look good three or four times out, and then that fourth time, for some reason, they can't throw strikes, can't get ahead on the count, or if they do get ahead on the count, they lose it with the next three pitches. And those are the most frustrating circumstances you can have. Again, there's another great arm, and sometimes he's really good, but he's going to get bounced down in the rotation uh, because of the acquisition of uh, or the rotation, the, the bullpen 
rotation uh, because of the acquisition of, uh, of the new guys. Because uh, with uh, Garcia and Graveman and Presley, you got three guys who ought to be able to go seven, eight, nine as frequently as their arm will allow. And you won't have to rely on some of these other pitchers as much. At least that's the hope. What do you think about what you're seeing from Christian Javier? Because, you know, he's a guy that you thought might be uh, a high-end reliever that you could use uh, come the playoffs. But he's been struggling a little bit, especially early uh, when he gets into games. He, he doesn't find the strike zone really quickly. And that's something that Dusty has mentioned. Well, and that'll knock him down further and further and further. And it's too bad because when he first was moved to the pen, he was pretty effective. Uh, they were using him truly in long circumstances because they had some pitchers that weren't ready to even try to go longer, and he was very good. But uh, he has not done as well uh, since his uh, appearances have been spaced out a little bit more, and the command has not been there. And that's an adjustment that if he's going to remain a key, uh, he's just going to have to uh, figure out how to pitch less and more effectively when he does get a chance. Because the 11-4 game the other night, he came in and and he just couldn't throw strikes, and there's no excuse for that. The Astros have made some noise about upgrading the outfield. Uh, It sounds like they they want maybe somebody instead of Miles Straw. I don't know if I understand that. Uh, I mean, at least if you're going to give up anything worthy as a prospect. I, I really like the way Straw has played, and you know what? He looked terrible defensively to start the year, Greg, but I got to say, he's become a darn good defensive outfielder. He's a good defensive outfielder. He has picked it up on using his speed to steal bases. Uh, he's hit, what, 300 or so for the last couple of months. He, now, he's not going to hit with much power at all. So those people who love this OPS stuff, uh, the slugging percentage part is going to be awful. But he is a he is batting average. He's getting on base. He's had a few uh, key hits as well and driven in some runs. So no, I I think that you're really nitpicking. If you know if you're gonna you're gonna get a a Hall of Fame type player or a future Hall of Fame type player, great. But uh, he is uh, still better than uh, a great number of the guys who are playing center field in the major leagues even though he doesn't have any power and his average is in the 260s, which is not great, but it's uh, it's been much better than that over the last three months. So I think that would be a low priority right now. I think uh, if there is still a priority left or if there's something they could do, it would be to have a nice additional left-hander that could uh, throw hard, but most importantly, it can throw strikes. Rayleigh has had his moments where he's pitched very well, but he's had some where he's pitched atrociously. And as the Grand Slam he gave up the other day, if you really looked at the video, it was right down the middle of the plate. And why was it there? Because he'd gotten himself an account problem, not throwing enough strikes. I think it was a 3-2 pitch, if I'm not mistaken, and it came right down the middle of the plate. Well, there are times you don't want to walk people, but there are more times where you don't want to throw a pitch right down the middle of the plate. And he learned that real quick. What did you think about Max Scherzer and a potential trade to get him? Were you thinking that that's something that could happen? I mean, it might still happen. I mean, we're talking on Thursday morning. There's still 24 hours to go. But is is that something that you felt like was realistic with the capital that the Astros had? And was that somebody that you'd go after considering the cost of that? Uh, the cost of him, of course, would put them over the cap, but Jim Crane has been quoted as saying if it's really a big deal, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll handle that. The problem is, I think in this case, it would be what you would have to give up because now you're getting into either top prospects in the minor leagues or one of your current starters that you've been happy with. That would be getting a little bit trickier. So I, I think they probably have kicked some tires on that 
because he was out there and apparently available. But I'm not sure whether or not uh, going through with it would be wise, not only for this year being necessary, this team is, what, 23 games over 500, but also the future uh, of the ball club, too. So I I think that would be one that – that would be a higher priority probably for a player acquisition than doing anything in the outfield. But uh, from a standpoint of being something that is overall better for the franchise, I'm not sure if that would be the case. Because, again, we're talking about players with contracts expiring, and it's nice because you you're not tied into future years. But at the same time, you may also be tied into future years with a lot less talent. You also got to think about if you don't get them, Maybe the Dodgers get him or somebody that you're going to see if you're going to try to win the World Series. Is going to, so so it's one of those moves that if you don't make, you're maybe hurting yourself in a couple of different ways. Well, that could be the same for the other team that's acquiring him. It could be hurting them too, but uh, you, that's why you just have to make the evaluation, and there's no perfect answer. Uh, but you have to make the evaluation as to what you can handle, what you can take a chance on, what your scouts are saying about your top prospects, how quickly are they going to be ready to move in and actually help you, and number two, will there be a place for them to play at that time? In other words, sometimes you got top prospects in the minor leagues that uh, – uh, okay, great. They might be really good for us, and maybe they're ready to play, but I got a Hall of Famer playing the position ahead of him, so I can trade him. Uh, and so those are all the things that management has to take into account. As we sit here the morning of July 29th, what concerns you about the Astros as a playoff team? Well, there's two things, and they both involve pitchers. The starting pitchers have simply got to be more consistently able to go deeper. They just simply have to because, man, they're getting off to great starts. One, two, three innings, and they're just almost unhittable. And then the fourth and fifth, and you can do this without pitch count watching. Just watch them. The Sometimes the velocity drops off just a mile an hour or two, and the command drops off a little bit. All of a sudden now the counts are going more full. They're missing more pitches. And that's just something they've got to correct. I, I've got to see pitchers that are still strong into the sixth inning and, and, and better than that. But, and, and, and that's not, that's, that's going to hurt them if that doesn't happen, regardless of who they've added in the bullpen, because you can, you, they may be better pitchers, but you can wear them out too. So I, I, that's what I want to see. And then of course I I expect to see better uh, work out of the pen with uh, the acquisitions the Astros have made. If the Astros get Arquiti back, they're going to have six starters, which four guys are going to be your starters as a playoff team and of those four guys do you do you have a certain order or guys that you like more than other guys and I guess the order that you would pitch them in the playoffs McCullers and Granke are going to be in there Granke the, the grizzled the grizzle veteran I mean he's had so many good starts uh and and he's gone deeper than on average than anybody um if if Valdez has not his little setback in his last couple starts where he hadn't been able to throw strikes if he if that's over uh, he's got to be there. Urquidy, same thing. And there's your four. Now, Garcia, up until his last couple of outings, would have been a real strong contender, too. But again, he seems to have started to uh, fade too quickly uh, with his command. And that's uh, that's troubling. But at the same token, if he can start out strong and doesn't have to pitch more than two or three innings and out of the bullpen, uh, then he can be a great addition uh, in the bullpen for pitchers that maybe aren't on their feed quite right uh, early in games. 
But those were the four I would go with as of now. Oda Rizzi, same thing. He's a veteran guy who probably could adjust to the pen if he had to, but he's pitched well enough in most of his starts that you'd kind of like him to be in the starting rotation too. So it's, it's a decision. Fortunately, the Astros have 65 games or whatever left to determine, uh, and, and that's about barring the fact that we run into any guys with tired arms or, or worse between now and the end of the season. They're still in better shape than most teams because the fact that they do have, quote, extra, unquote, starters to call on if uh, if somebody does go down. Yeah, what you said sounds pretty spot on. I mean, it seems like the Astros are in really good shape in the bullpen because not only do you have some guys that are high-end guys that you just traded for, but between Garcia and Christian Javier and Odorizzi, if all those guys go to the bullpen, then you've got three long guys in the bullpen. So if you have any problem in the first two or three innings with your starters, you've got somebody that can come in and, you know, immediately maybe pick things up and and get you to that back end of the bullpen. Well, I think fans will remember the 2017 World Championship team relied on starters out of the bullpen, and they got great success from them. Of course, Charlie Martin was the star of stars, uh, finishing up the final game uh, with several strong innings. And so, uh, yeah, if you've got extra starters who who normally are your better pitchers overall anyway, you're just that much better off uh, once you get to postseason and you manage the game a little bit differently, too. Anything else on your mind with the Astros or just baseball in general as we get to the point where we've got to start looking at um, the last couple of months of the season and and where everybody's going to be in the playoffs? No, I'll tell you what I want to see. I want to see Bregman come back and have enough time left to become Bregman again because he really wasn't Bregman even before he got hurt. He had he had his spurts. Uh, we were talking about how he got off to a better start than he usually does in April, and he, he did uh, for batting average and all, but he, he faded. He started to fade a little bit uh, uh, toward the end. I would like to see Altuve be Altuve and less Altuve Mr. Power. Uh, I want to see him get more base hits. Uh, I want to see him – a little bit smarter at some of his at bats because this is not a 275 hitter. He's a 310 career hitter going into this year. And yeah, he's hit 23 home runs, and that's great. Uh, but he tends to be looking to me like more becoming power hitter, pull hitter, Altuve, and not the uh, the guy that's going to get uh, get on base as much as he used to. I want to see Alvarez be a little bit more. Uh, well, I want to see him get his average up. I know that the, the deal is, oh, well, averages don't matter. Well, yeah, they do. He'll still hit as many home runs, but he's also going to get a few more hits. I'm very happy with Tucker. Uh, Tucker is about a 280 hitter right now, and that's that's about what he probably is. Uh, although over the last uh, four months, he's been much better than that. Correa, uh, obviously being sidelined for that one period of time, he hasn't really come back totally from that yet because before he went out, he was hitting the ball to all fields. Uh, he's had a couple of two-hit games. Hopefully he can get uh, a few more extra uh, hits as well. Uh, but uh, these guys are very talented. You look at this lineup, and I'll go all the way through eight, because, and that includes Straw, because Straw does give you speed. He gets on base more than his batting average uh, would indicate. And really all you've got is a pitcher hitting ninth who who's basically is your catcher. But uh, he's, he's an outstanding catcher, so you can take that. So, no, this team is very, very strong, and, and barring – any more significant injuries, they're going to be very hard to to beat. Uh, of course, postseason's a whole different thing, but they could very well end up with the best overall record in all of baseball before it's over. 
It's great to have Aledmus Diaz back. I mean, that's a, just an underrated guy. And it's just if you can keep him on the field, it's just the injuries with him. But, man, he's so solid as a backup when he plays. And the other thing, Greg, is you mentioned Jordan Alvarez. Am I wrong about this? Does Jordan, does it seem like he hasn't had the hot streaks that you would assume that he would have at points this year? I mean, he's his numbers aren't terrible <laughs> by any means. But I just expected more from him this year, I guess, after what I saw in his rookie season. And, you know, I, I just I just figured he would, uh, you know, be hitting closer to 300 and, and, and definitely with more home runs. I, I think you're probably right. I think I will say one thing. One bright spot is he can also play a position now. And that's that's very valuable for this team down the road. It, it, the fact that he is, is at least an adequate left fielder and actually his, his knees are fine. He, he's running the bases pretty well. He. He he loafs on some ground balls that he hits, uh, if you'll notice. But when he has to run, he can run pretty pretty well. And I won't say they know how to pitch him. They know what they want to do to get him out. And he's still adjusting to hitting uh, pitchers good pitches. The great hitters adjust and figure it out a little more than the average guy. But, uh, yeah, I thought he would have a little more production uh, than he has. But yet production isn't really that bad. It's just that it's not uh, not on the level I guess we thought it would be. Oh, let me say one thing about Diaz. Consider how lucky and how fortunate the Astros have been. We talk about the great stars they've had, but go back. I'll say I'll go back to Billy Spires, but you probably could go back to the 80s uh, when you had a number of guys who could play all over the field, utility-type players. But Billy Spires, Jose Vizcaino, Marwin Gonzalez, Diaz. I mean, these have been super utility guys. I mean, those four of those guys, you're not going to find many teams could have a history of, of superb utility guys uh, that have just really, really been outstanding. And he's just the latest in, in that list. Denny Walling. Uh, I'll add him to that mix. Yeah, go back to the 80s. That's one representative from the 80s. Absolutely. Well, even Art Howe could play different spots. But yeah, it was uh, it, the Astros have been blessed with guys that can play uh, and well. You know, not just filling in, not not just being a, a guy who can play defense at a position, but a guy who can hit and and play different positions. And the, the four I mentioned, and Dilly, Denny Walling, uh, all fit that uh, category. And the Astros have been very fortunate with those. And, and they did miss uh, Diaz a great deal during the period that he was uh, he was out, even with the occasional heroic of Toro. Uh, he wasn't the kind of hitter that Diaz is. And, uh, no, it's uh, it's great to have him back. And Toro would make me hold my breath a lot of times when the ball's hit his way, and Diaz does not. Well, right, defensively, there's no no, no comparison. Absolutely, no comparison. But he has a, he has record here: four home runs in four games, two each for two different teams. That's a, that's going to put him in the record books at least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He was looking like Barry Bonds this week. Uh, Toro had a hell of a week. Um, before we finish things up, I, I just got a couple of things on my mind from Houston angles on the Olympics. If if you would uh, stick with me, Greg, and uh, are you a fan of the Olympics? You've been watching? I haven't been watching as much this year. It's mainly the time zone is the problem, and I, I you know, I am aware of what has happened. I mean, for instance. It is great that Suni Lee was able to take the all-around in uh, in uh, the the women's gymnastics because that was what uh, Biles had to pull out of first. But the 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 story of uh, what goes through a gymnast's mind as they are making some of these incredible moves, and that you can actually lose your your focus and 
not know where you are. And, and it makes sense when you think about it, but it's it's something we don't think about. And uh, and I totally am in support of uh, Simone Biles for pulling out if, in fact, that was what was going on with her because there's no way really to – that's like a, a second baseman who can't throw the ball to first base. There, it's it, There's no explanation, but it happens. And uh, so that's kind of my view on, on her. And I think that uh, – I think no fan should be – saying anything negative against her if they really knew that plus the fact she's already extended her life past the typical gymnast's age 24 is really old for a gymnast and uh so no she she's she's the greatest there ever was and maybe ever will be but uh you know for all athletes it ends for one reason or another yeah and uh greg uh didn't give the spoiler alert i i was gonna avoid the suny lee in case somebody was listening to this and they <laughs> recorded they're gonna re- watch the stuff tonight with her, with her winning, but yeah, that that was cool, and you got to Simone Biles, which you know, I, I just got to say, I'm heartbroken. I'm just a, such a super fan of her uh, to to not see her on the Olympic stage again. And, and as a former gymnast who competed on a statewide level at a gym that produced Olympians, uh, I don't know if people know this. I don't know if I've mentioned this on the show, but one of my teammates uh, when I started off at age seven here in Houston was a uh, an Olympian eventually. And, and I can only imagine after doing that, the, the knife's edge that you've got to handle. Uh, and she wrestled with this week, you know, one mistake at her level and it's beyond disastrous. And I've watched, you know, her fight through kidney stones and a broken toe in five places to win a world championship. As we all know, you know, she's somebody that's survived sexual assault and then went on to win four Olympic gold medals, five world championships, 27 golds in international competition. And, and she's done it in a very public way that a lot of people don't have to do. Greg, I, I was just so impressed also at how she handled herself after pulling out a couple of days ago. You know, she knows her dream is over, but leaves her ego aside and then roots and leads her team just minutes later to an Olympic silver. It, it, to me, it just added another dimension to her legend. Yeah, she was there. She was there cheering them on, and she wants them to win. And uh, this term, the twisties, that uh, has come off uh, about what it is, and it basically is, as, as you, if you having been a gymnast, it's it's you're in the middle of something, and it, it it you're trained to do it almost automatically, you know. But all of a sudden, your mind comes in and says, "Where am I?" And uh, and and your mind is not even supposed to be bugging you at that point, but it does. And and the stuff that she was doing was had never been done before and had never been attempted before and she was pulling it off but at the same token if if your mind gets involved while you're in the middle of one of those multiple move endeavors high in the air uh, well that's extremely dangerous and uh, maybe that's simply a sign of nothing more than it's time to retire that's it may be nothing more than that but the point is she retires the greatest there ever was and again without covid maybe one year less waiting and uh, she would have still been able to compete uh, in the true 2020 games. But we'll never know that, but we will know that she was the best there ever has been and probably will retain that title for a long time. Yeah, and everybody, you know, everybody's got to have a hard take and, oh, my God, she's pulling out, so she quit. But, you know, you got to remember, Nastia Lukin, she's a gymnastics expert. She says it on the broadcast. I feel like a lot of people just didn't watch the broadcast because – Nastia Lukin, hey, this just in. She was an all-around Olympic gold medalist. She knew a name. She said, there's a name for this. It happens so often. We've got a name for it. And she said, it's common. You know, here's somebody that not only Olympic gold medalist in Nastia, but her dad was an Olympic coach. 
So she knows this as much as anybody. And you talked about, you know, what it is, but I don't think it's mentioned enough that she had just total confidence in her teammates. And this is a crazy talented team that nearly won gold. And if Simone isn't doing her usual flips or spins, it wasn't just that she wasn't landing the, the, the uh, stuff. She wasn't, uh, you know, she had trouble with the landing on the vault. It was the fact that she didn't and couldn't do the flips and spins that she would normally do. And if she doesn't, she's just like every other gymnast at that point. I mean, you know, she's really good at execution, but what makes her Simone and better than everybody else is, and that's why her scores are so big is that she does more flips and more spins. And if you can't do them, you know, th then she's like everybody else. So she might as well pull out at that point because she is having such mental issues. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. And, uh, and, and, and again, it's, Probably nothing more than the fact that it's time to end it. It's time to retire because baseball player can't get around on the fastball anymore. He still sees it coming, can't get around on it anymore. So he uh, he hangs it up. Or a pitcher has lost four or five miles an hour on his fastball. He, he hangs it up. And uh, certainly a gymnast uh, to be still even trying it at age 24. And the amount of expertise and, and skill that she had been demonstrating in the, in the trials and in the uh, championships prior to the Olympics – Showed that she could still do it, but it wasn't as easy. And you're right, good point. The, with her not in the lineups, and she gives other people a chance, and the other people are talented. They aren't. No one's as talented as she was at her peak, but they were talented, and they all got a shot. And uh, you know, the the team won silver, and there'll be some individual champions, uh, and uh, so it'll be other people. But the U.S. team, if you're worried about team stuff, they'll do very well anyway. Yeah, I agreed with everything you just said. And I got one more angle that is a little personal to me on the Olympics because when I was producing High School Sports Live, uh, the show on Channel 55 12 years ago, I produced a feature on state champ Morton Ranch wrestler Tamara Mensa-Stock. Uh, she had an, this infectious, kind of joyous spirit to her, which was all the more amazing when we met her because her dad had died two months earlier in a car accident. When he was returning from one of her meets, her dad who lived in Louisiana drove to every single one of her meets. Not only did she win state that year, she went on to win again the next year. And on Monday, she'll compete in her very first Olympic Games. And Greg, when I did the story, she was Tamara Mensa. Her last name is now a hyphen, Mensa stock, for two reasons. One, obviously, because she married a guy. And the guy who she married has the same or has the last name of Stock, uh, he was one of her friends at Morton Ranch High School, and they went on to college together and finally started dating her junior year. So it took a while for that relationship to happen. But that's uh, a little bit of the Mensa Stock. But the more interesting thing is the, the second reason she's Mensa Stock, she wanted to keep her original last name in honor of her dad, uh, which, you know, with everything that's happened, with, with what I remember from that time and that story, I put it up on YouTube. His name, Prince Mensa. Go look for it. It's Tamara Mensa. It's on my uh, YouTube page. But um, and I put it up on the, the Facebook as well. But uh, she's just a really cool story. And it's I hope people kind of look for her on Monday and Tuesday and to see what she does, because I'm really excited about that. Well, that's a great story. And there are a lot of great stories that do come out of the Olympics, because these athletes from in most cases uh, in, in most of the sports are, are kind of toiling on their own and trying to be the best they can be and winning small titles and then bigger titles and then uh, making national teams and then 
if, if they're really good and luck is on their side, they get to represent their country in the Olympics. And it's great to hear stories like that, that uh, were dedicated, some people that were dedicated and had to overcome hardship, uh, personal hardship and, and disappointment to uh, to stick with it and uh, getting the ultimate ultimate honor uh, to be an Olympian. You know, I've said this on Twitter. I don't know if you saw this, Greg, but I just want to get your thoughts. I think Rowdy Gaines and Dan Hicks are the best broadcasting team in any sport right now. What they do on swimming is incredible. They handle the high stuff and the excitement of it, but just the detail work that they do and the, the stuff that they do to catch you up every four years and still throw in the stories and get into the technical stuff with swimming and and then they wrap it all up perfectly every single day it's amazing well these guys uh, I'll give my I'll tip my hat to the the crews that are put together by NBC and and uh, the homework that is done by them personally because they someone else may be doing a lot of their research but they are having to understand it all they're having to digest it all and knowing exactly how to use it well and I agree with you they are uh, they're true pros and they know what they're doing out there well, thanks so much, Greg. And who knows, we, we might get done with this thing and look up and James Click's done something else. But I'm really excited about what he's done the last few days. It's amazing what he's done without, I feel like, giving up anything. You know, it's, that's that's the thing that I think Astros fans were looking forward to with James Click is, you know, we had yet to see what he could do at a trade deadline because there was none last year. Well, no. And the other thing is up until a, about this last series, actually, uh, the bullpen had been better. Uh, they had been doing a little bit better. And then uh, all of a sudden, the series with Seattle, and uh, they totally collapsed in the first game, and they almost collapsed in the second game, and uh, threw a lot of balls in the third game. And so uh, it was time, and he came through, and that's all the Astro fans can hope for. And uh, and, and he came through with uh, at least two quality pitchers that should be major factors down the stretch with this club. And don't let it go unnoticed that that first trade that he made with Seattle might have won those last two games in the Seattle series because that devastated their clubhouse. And the Astros had just had that you know, horrible loss in game one, and it, and it might have just lifted their spirits to help them win the last two games. And you are correct about it devastating their clubhouse. I was reading a story out of uh, Seattle, and uh, the fan, the, the club, almost to a man, uh, was saying negatives about their general manager as a guy sitting up in the booth uh, playing video games or playing uh, fantasy baseball. And that obviously is a rep, but rap at all the people who are winning and losing, or they think they are, with uh, metrics. But uh, the fact is that uh, they really liked their man, uh, Graveman, and they felt that it was a slap in the face for a team which had battled back to contention in the, uh, the wild card and then shoot if they'd won three games from the Astros they would have been in contention for the whole West but no that did shake up that clubhouse and it could very well have uh, had an effect on them and it will maybe have an effect on them for a few games later huge week in Houston sports looking for the looking forward to the Rockets draft as well tonight and we'll be talking about that soon on Houston sports talk Thanks again, Greg. And just a reminder to everybody that you can reach us on Twitter, Facebook, or email info at HoustonSportsTalk.net. Until next time, stay healthy and safe, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk.
Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.